Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, we are in our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew here. If you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome to River Bible Church. If uh, you're a returning guest and you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles uh, for you in the back there. Please take that. Stand up, grab one. That's our gift to you. Please take that home. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses, uh, verse 9 today. Uh, let me do a review over the last couple of weeks. Um, Matthew chapters 5 through 7 include the most famous sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever, a Sermon on the Mount by Jesus Christ himself. As with many sermons, Jesus, he ebbs, he flows, he preaches on several different topics, all relating to one theme, and that theme is, is the kingdom of God, both John the baptizer And Jesus started off their preaching ministries by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And for the past several weeks, we've been looking at this section where Jesus teaches his disciples how and how not to pray. A couple key points from last week. We said that our public prayers come out of our private prayers. Our public prayers come out of our private prayers. Jesus taught us that our public prayers are not to be showy. I mean, after all, we have to remember that it's not an audience, those people who are standing around as we pray in public. But it is about who we're praying to. There's there's no reason for our public prayers to be long or repetitive either. Once again, we are praying to a personal, a, a relational God. We're not praying to some random cosmic force within the universe. Key point number two from last week, we said that thoughtless prayer is as offensive to God as heartless prayer. Thoughtless prayer is as offensive to God as heartless prayer. So Jesus taught us how to pause before we start praying. We are to think about our thinking. As disciples, we are to be concise and specific and sincere as we pray. And then I closed last Sunday's sermon by providing some practical suggestions and ideas that I've been taught myself uh, about prayer. I've given you an outline, a a model to help you get started if you find yourself kind of stuck in your prayer life. And that's kind of where we are today. We have an outline. We have a model of prayer, which just turns out to be the perfect prayer model. It is the the Lord's Prayer. Now, unfortunately, the Lord's Prayer is misnamed. A A better title for this would be the Disciples' Prayer. And the reason it's a Disciples' Prayer is because the Lord Jesus, He doesn't have to ask for forgiveness when you get to verse 12 there. The actual Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17, where Jesus prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, 
and he prays for all the believers. Now, let, let me back up a little bit from last week because I mentioned to you how you never know what you're going to find when you study God's Word. Uh, studying God's Word is like searching for gold and silver. And I assume last week, so we, we understand we're off to a bad start when I start assuming things, right? Y'all with me? I assume that I would just preach throughout the Lord's Prayer today. And guess what? I assumed wrong. We are going to study the Lord's Prayer today, but I, I only got as far as our Father. I'm telling you, before I knew it, I had 10,000 words on my outline. I only need 4,000 to preach a message. So uh, we are going to focus on God as the Father today. Scripture has a lot to say about God relating to his people as a father. And it's so cool how God works because as I, as I closed my outline on, on Thursday, I realized, oh, we have got to sing Good, Good Father. We, 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 we got to sing it. And because we had snow last Monday, we didn't have a, a music meeting, um, because we usually meet for a few hours, we pray, for the, pray through the scriptures and see how the Lord reveals the music to us. So Mike sent me a text and he said, okay, I, we prayed through this and I think this is what we're going to do. And I said, okay. Well, I looked through that, that text message on Thursday that he sent me knowing that we're going to have to delete one of his songs <laughs> because we need to sing Good, Good Father. You want to know what song was on that list? Good, good. Now you tell me, man, what a coincidence. Out of the thousands and 10,000 worship songs that, that are available for the band to choose, that just happened to be on there? Our God is so, so cool. So cool. Well, before we dive into uh, today's scripture, let me just provide a general overview. And right from the very start here, let me, let me give us key point number one. The Lord's Prayer is an outline that focuses on the ingredients that make up a godly prayer. The Lord's Prayer is an outline that focuses on the ingredients that make up a godly prayer. When you look at the Lord's Prayer as a whole, the first three verses concern the glory of God. We are to pray your name, your kingdom, and your will. It's all about God. Second half of that prayer concerns us. We say, give us, forgive us, deliver us. All those verses there deal, those three verses deal with human needs. You know, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it has a similar structure to the Ten Commandments. Both place God's concerns first. The first four commandments deal with how to honor God. The last six commandments deal with how we honor others. So in both the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments, we see the illustration of the cross, right? Honoring God is vertical. Honoring others is horizontal. We see the cross. We can say it this way. Love God, love people. So within the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer here, we place God's glory before our wants and before our desires. So the Lord's Prayer is the perfect prayer. You want to learn how to pray 
learn this prayer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, the Lord's Prayer is not merely the pattern of prayer. It is the way Christians must pray. Martin Luther, man, he preached a whole volume on the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is without a doubt the greatest prayer of the Christian church. And, and what we're going to do today is we're going to spend the, uh, the first part of this learning about God as our Father. So if you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. So just as we lifted up our voices to sing uh, to the glory of God, let's lift our voices now to read uh, the Scripture passage together. We're going to start in verse 5. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And dear friends, these are the words from the inerrant and the inspired and the infallible word of Almighty God. Father, we do praise you with an upright heart this morning. The psalmist says that when we learn your righteous ways, we will praise you. So Lord, we are here with our Bibles open for you to teach us your word and how to pray this very day. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Thank you. Let me back up to verse 7 to give us a running start here. Jesus said from last week, he says, When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your Father in heaven knows the things that you need before you even ask Him. So Jesus tells us here how not to pray twice. <clears throat> Two verses. And now He teaches us how to pray in a, in a godly manner. He says in verse 9, Therefore you should pray like this. Notice how Jesus separates the prayers of those who don't know God to giving his disciples instructions to those who do know him. In Luke's gospel, we learn that one of the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Let's take a look at this. So he, that's Jesus, he was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, will you, will you teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples? 
Can you imagine watching Jesus pray silently and personally to God the Father? Man, that must have been amazing. I mean, Jesus had to do something while he was praying to, to draw his disciples in. Jesus had something that they didn't have. And they, they wanted that. They, they wanted whatever they were missing. So at the disciples' request here, Jesus provides this, this structure and this pattern of prayer. And he says in verse 9, therefore, you should pray like this. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, pray this. Hutos in the Greek, like this. You are to pray in this manner. You are to pray in this way. Uh, you are to pray in the way that, I've, that I'm teaching you, that I've indicated. He doesn't say, use these exact words in this exact order using this same exact tone. He says, pray like this. So Jesus is providing a prayer structure here and an outline because as earthy people, people made of dirt, we, we, don't, we don't understand spiritual things. We have no clue how to communicate to God Almighty. And that brings us to key point number two. The Lord's Prayer is a model, not a mantra. The Lord's Prayer is a model. It's not a mantra. It is not a prayer only to be memorized and repeated. Now, that's a good start, but it's an outline that gives us a foundation of where, where do we begin with prayer? Because prayer is a relationship with Almighty God. It's not a, it's not a business transaction. The, the Lord's Prayer, think of it as guardrails that keep you from driving off a cliff. It, it keeps us on the straight and the narrow. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ought to slow down. We ought to pray it thoughtfully, giving attention to these individual pieces within the prayer itself. And once again, last Sunday, Jesus taught us the danger of using these heartless and these thoughtless prayers. Jesus never intended the Lord's Prayer to become a mindless, magical mantra, similar to what the pagans use. And yet it is ironic you look over church history and, and some people and, and denominations, they, they use the Lord's Prayer in the very way that, that God, that Jesus warns against. In fact, the reason that, that he gave this prayer is to keep us from using vain repetitions. So how does this perfect prayer outline begin? Well, in verse 9, Jesus says, our Father, our Abba. Our, it could be translated, our dearest father. So focusing on God as a heavenly father, it is the foundational awareness of all of our prayers. Uh, this is not an entirely foreign concept. Devout Jews have always understood that God is comparable to a loving father. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as father 14 separate times. And within those 14 verses, the term father, it was usually used in reference to the nation of Israel, not individually. So let me give you a couple examples here. The nation of Israel was called God's son in Exodus chapter 4. God is speaking to Moses, and he says, you're going to say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. 
I told you, let my son go so that he, the nation, may worship me. And Israel recognized that. Their heavenly father purchased them, redeemed them out of slavery. We see God as a father disciplining his son, once again, the nation of Israel, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. His people have acted corruptly towards him. And this is their defect. They're not his children, but a devious and and crooked generations. So in other words, the nation of Israel, they're acting like a bunch of teenagers. He says, is this how you repay the Lord? You foolish and senseless people. Look at this. Isn't he your creator? Isn't he your sustainer? Didn't he make you and sustain you? More on that distinction between father and creation here in a bit. But also the prophet Isaiah, he acknowledges God as a father as well. Chapter uh, 63. He says, yet you are our father. Even though Abraham does not know us and Israel doesn't recognize us, You, Lord, are our Father. Your name is our Redeemer from ancient times. So Isaiah is, he's referring back to the Exodus himself. So in the Old Testament, we've got a glimpse here of how the entire nation was viewed as God's son. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he addresses God as his personal father. All of Jesus' prayers, all but one, address God as a personal father loving father. He never used anything else except that one time. Now think about this. The gospels, right? The four books, very thin compared to the 39 books in your Old Testament, they record, the gospels record God, Jesus calling God his father more than 60 times. Six, zero. But here's the rub. Even though devout Jews understood God as a type of father, no devout Jew dared to address God as his personal father. Pagans didn't do this either. But devout Jews, they considered that kind of relationship just way too intimate. In fact, the Jews of Jesus' day, they set up fencing laws so they didn't even have to call God by his name. Uh, What's a fence do? It either keeps people out or keeps other people in, right? Well, they, 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 they set up these laws, and what it, it, it was a precaution so the Jew wouldn't accidentally say the name of God. Devout Jews would speak of God as, as heaven. They would call him, he is the most high. They would, they would just say, Lord. They spoke this way because they, they, they thought his name was just way too holy to speak. The problem, though, was that they distanced themselves from God as a heavenly father. And by doing that, I mean, they weren't supposed to do that. Even even God told Moses his name. He said, Moses, my name is Yahweh. I am who I am. But if we think about why they did that, we think about why we do this today. How can you build a relationship with with someone if you insist on being so formal with them? So do you as a parent or grandparent, do you insist that your kids or your grandkids call you Mr. or Mrs.? Do you require them to, to schedule an appointment weeks in advance for a visit? No, you don't do that, no. 
We, we, want, we want them to, to open up, fling open that, that front door and, and run in and say, Daddy, Papa, Grandma, Grandpa. Because formality creates distance. I can, I can keep someone at a distance if I'm really formal with them. Even today, Jews, devout Jews, don't say the word God. Several years ago, I, I was working on something that dealt with the Jewish calendar. And I had some email correspondence with a rabbi. And I couldn't help but notice that whenever he wrote me back, when he mentioned God, it was capital G dash D. Hmm. So if we think about it, it, it's easier for us to pray to a divine being, some kind of force, than it is to, to pray to someone who we consider a loving, caring father. We, we, we just don't want him. We don't want it to get too close to us, right? In the back of our minds, maybe we think this, you know, just... Just tell me what mantra I've got to recite here. What, what, what kind of allegiance do I have to give so I can make it happy? But don't tell me that God is a heavenly father because that's just way too, that's way too close. That's way too intimate. Because if God is our father, guess what? We are his sons and daughters. If God is our father, that implies a relationship. There's a oneness, uh-oh, and there's an accountability too. See, and it's in our humanness, it's in our earthiness, our sinfulness that just revolts and rebels against the thought of being accountable to someone or something, especially our creator. However, Jesus what he does here by calling God his father, there's a family dynamic. In Greek, father is pater. It's Abba in Aramaic. Aramaic, by the way, was, was the everyday language spoken by Jesus. We see Jesus speaking Aramaic all throughout the Gospels. Let me give you a couple examples here. When Jesus raised a girl from the dead, he said, Talitha kum. He said, little girl, I say to you, get up. When Jesus healed a deaf man in the Decapolis, he said, apatha, be opened. And probably the most famous Aramaic statement is from the cross. When Jesus cries, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then Jesus uses Abba, Father. He uses it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Abba, Father, I don't want to do this. All, all things are possible for you. Please take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you, but what you will. So all that to say, Aramaic, very common, similar to Hebrew as well. Um, it, was, it was borrowed from other languages, specifically Babylon, all that to say this, Abba was the word used by Jewish children for their earthly fathers. So don't miss that. How precious is it for a little boy to call his father, Daddy, Daddy? So for Jesus to use Abba when addressing God, man, that was just absolutely revolutionary in Jesus' day. It nearly got him killed in, in John chapter 10. 
Now, it's also very interesting how Jesus uses his pronouns with Abba, Father. When Jesus speaks of forgiveness, he speaks of your father, and he excludes himself because Jesus doesn't need to be forgiven. When Jesus speaks of his unique sonship and his divine authority, he speaks of my father, and he excludes everybody else. And what's fascinating about the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is that the pronoun is plural. He says, our. Uh, Contrary to, to popular belief, nowhere in Scripture is there a place for this Americanized individualism, right? This idea that it's just, it's just me and Jesus. It's all I need. It's all I got. Now, there is another popular belief here that we need to address. Who can legitimately call God Father? Let's take a look at the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, the prophet says this. He says, don't all of us have one Father? Didn't, didn't one God create us? Huh. Paul said to the Greek philosophers on Mars Hill in the New Testament, Acts chapter 17, he says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So is is the Apostle Paul, is the prophet Malachi, are they teaching universalism? This idea that all people will eventually get to heaven. Can, Can anyone and everyone call God Father? Is everyone a son or a daughter of God Almighty? Well, let's keep digging. We know that God loves the world. John 3.16, the most famous Bible verse in all of Scripture, right? For God so loved the world. So in other words, God loves all of his creation. But let's finish the, the rest of the verse here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So pause for a second. If universalism teaches that everyone will, be, will eventually be saved, why did God send his son? See, it's, it's through God's love for this world, his creation, that God gave us his son as a gift. In verse 17, Jesus continues. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's a lot of worlds. What's going on? Well, in the Greek, all three of those worlds are translated as cosmos. But the sense is different. So let's look at it again. For God did not send his son, and we could say, into his creation to condemn the people of the world but in order that the people might be saved through him. He goes on to say in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So if a person refuses to believe that Jesus is God's Son, then spiritually unbelievers have another father. How do we know this to be true? 
Well, because in his most severe criticism of the Jewish leaders, Jesus says this in the Gospel of John chapter 8. He says, I speak what I have seen in the presence of my Father. So then, you do what you have heard from your Father. So notice there in verse 38, Jesus is referring to two distinct fathers. Verse 39 our father is Abraham, the Jews said. And Jesus said, if, if you were Abraham's children, you would actually do what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me, and I'm a, I'm a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You're doing what your father does. And then they, they, the Jews interrupt Jesus there. He's, he's trying to speak, and he's, you're doing what your father does. And they say, hey, 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 we weren't born of sexual immorality, Jesus. We have one father, and that is God. So what the Jews did right there is they took a dig at Jesus because they don't understand the virginal conception. Verse 42, Jesus goes on. He says, look, guys, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God, and now I'm here. I, I didn't come on my own. He sent me. The Father sent me. So in other words, if, if we claim that God is our Father, then we will love Jesus. Verse 43, you see Jesus kind of getting exhausted here. He says, why don't you guys understand what I say? Oh, because you cannot listen to my word. See, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. Dang. You, you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar. And he's the father of lies. And yet, because I tell you the truth, you guys don't believe me. Who among you, by the way, can convict me of any sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's word. See, this is why you don't listen. Because you are not from God. Now look, telling people that their spiritual father is Satan... <laughs> yeah, not a popular spiritual truth then. It's not one now. However, truth is truth, and no matter how uncomfortable that makes us. It's been said that we have to hear the bad news before we can understand the good. And that principle does remain true today. We can only call God or we can only call upon God as our Father based on one condition. And that one condition is our belief. Back to verse 18, he says, Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, not condemned. You're not guilty. So when we choose to believe in Jesus, when we choose to believe that, that Jesus is God in, the hum, in human flesh, Something amazing happens. There's a spiritual transaction that takes place. Our sin debt has been paid via the blood-stained cross. Our sins are, are legally transferred. They are imputed 
to Jesus' sacrifice for our sin. And if that wasn't good enough, the perfect life that Jesus lived, Scripture calls that righteousness, that is then transferred to you. And the proof of this amazing spiritual transaction is the empty grave. Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He walked out of that grave. And by doing so, he conquered sin and death on our behalf. So, so good. Key point number two. God is a father only to those who believe. God is a father only to those who believe. Have you guys seen the uh, bumper stickers that say coexist or tolerance? I think it's quite clever. I think whoever came up with that, very, very clever. And the you know, what they're communicating there is that everybody goes to heaven. You just get to pick one, right? But dear friends, please know that that's not what Scripture says. That's not what Jesus says. We don't come to God as our Father on our own terms. We don't get to pick our own personal flavor of religion. We come to God through his son. It's through a relationship, not a religion. So every time that we pray the, the Lord's Prayer here, we are reminded right when we first start that we are praying to our father as a, an adopted child. Jesus paid the debt, and now we, we can have this amazing relationship. And a, an amazing relationship that we don't deserve. And once again, it is only by faith in the Son of God, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, many of us have a hard time wrapping our brains and, and our emotions around the concept here that God really is a good, good father. I mentioned last week that it was especially hard for me to call God my father many, many times because I had three dads growing up and no father. A father to me was someone who would eventually leave me. He would hang, out, he would hang around just long enough until something better came along. And the reason that these three dads came and went at least in my childhood mind, was that there must have been something wrong with me. There had to be. There, there was no other explanation for it. There had to be something inherently dysfunctional about me. No man wanted to stick around. Some of us have been terribly abused by our earthly fathers or our father figures. So I get it. For many of us, maybe most of us, it's really difficult to use the same word that caused so much pain in our past and apply it to God today. So let me share some things that allowed me to address this, this type of fatherhood pain in my own life. And, and I share a bit of my story today um, because I pray that it speaks to you about yours. When I got saved, I was 33 years old. The Lord surrounded me with men immediately. Men who loved God and they accepted me, warts and all, 
right? God placed me in the local church where he taught me about himself through those imperfect men. These, these God-loving and these God-fearing men. I may have not had a father in my life, but when God saved my wretched, perverted soul, he adopted me into this new family, and then he surrounded me with brothers, older brothers who became mentors, younger brothers who were disciples. These men taught me the word of God, just like I'm teaching you today. And it was through these men where I, I slowly learned, like my heavenly father is so radically different than my three dads. These men taught me how to read the Bible. And see, it's in the promises of God where I, I just cling to scripture. I cling to it. I, I love Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid. Why? For the Lord your God is the one who's going to go with you. And look at this. He will, he's not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forsake you. Proverbs chapter 2. I love, I love this. He says, my son. No one ever called me son. He said, if you accept my words... And store up my commands. See, this is a father talking to a son. He says, if you listen closely to wisdom and you direct your heart to understanding, furthermore, if you call out to insight, if you lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver, you search for it like a hidden treasure, and then, ah, it's then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. That's our daddy talking to us. Proverbs chapter 4, he says the same thing. He says, listen, my son. Listen how tender that is. My son, accept my words and you will live many years. And then he says this as a father. He says, I'm, I'm the one teaching you the way of wisdom. I'm the one guiding you on straight paths. Who? Who is that? Who's the, who's the I am? It's my daddy. It's my Abba. He says, when you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you're not going to stumble. Hold on to the instruction. Don't ever let it go. Guard it. Guard what I tell you through this book. It is your life. See, it's through the scriptures. And it's through the Holy Spirit where we slowly learn about God as our heavenly father. But when you skim, this is the most amazing thing to me, right? When we read passages like this, and then when we read the scriptures, you're, you're only going to find a handful of godly men who were actually good fathers. From the very beginning, Isaac and Jacob. Look, those guys did not get Father of the Year awards. They didn't. Even King David, a man, I mean, a man after God's own heart, you would think that he would know how to father his children, and he didn't. It was awful, if you know the story of Absalom, but not your daddy in heaven, not him. Our father in heaven, holy is your name. 
Guys, our Father is so radically, He is so fundamentally different than your experience with, with your human father or a father figure. Even if you had a great father growing up and you loved your dad, praise God for that. But the only reason that, that you loved him was because he reflected just a small ounce of who your heavenly father truly is. Guys, I, I pray that no matter where you are today in your relationship with your heavenly father, that you can take another step closer to him today. And maybe, just maybe, we, we learn to, to run into his arms and we get to jump in his lap in the morning and he can wrap his, his heavenly arms around you. And we get to cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. Isn't it fun to wake up in the morning and just go, Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do today? I want to invite the band up at this time. Please pray with me. Father, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. Says, the Lord God Almighty. I don't think saying thank you is ever enough for that. We can say thank you a gazillion times, Lord God, and it's, that's not enough. So maybe, just maybe, as we ponder that you are a father to us, that you know how to father us, that it drives us into a deeper state of worship, that we would honor you in the way that, that you have us, the, the way that you've, you've given to us, the things that are on our our plate this week and the people that's in front of us and through our jobs and how we handle our finances and, and now as you teach us how to pray. Lord, I pray that you accept our, our worship now as we sing this song, Good, Good Father. We concentrate on the words and we don't just sing it. We actually believe it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.